22. We're going to be beginning in verse 31. And we read the following words. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned, when you have repented, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know that you know me. As a grandfather slept in his bed, and thank you brothers for standing and reminding me to remind others to stand, invite somebody, this is gonna be a powerful word, uh, uh, start a watch party, share with someone, don't allow this opportunity to go without extending uh, some food to those whose souls are hungering for the word. A grandfather who was sleeping in his bed uh, did not know that two of his grandchildren were visiting, and they decided to play a trick on their grandfather. And as he slept, they put Limburger cheese, the stinkiest smelling cheese on the planet, in his mustache, and he snored on. Once he woke and, 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 and realized that he had guests in the house, he stood up and he took a deep breath in the bedroom and he said, mmm, this room stinks. And then he left the bedroom and went into the kitchen and he said, oh, let me take another deep, and he takes a second deep breath. He said, oh, the kitchen stinks. I, I gotta get me some fresh air. And so he goes outside in the backyard, he got this big, uh, expanded uh, backyard and he takes a deep breath again. He says, oh, even the yard stinks. Everything stinks. What the grandfather did not realize, that the problem wasn't the bedroom, it wasn't the kitchen, it wasn't that everything outside stunk. The problem was the stink was on him. And he was unable to recognize that until he did, did something about the smell that was in his mustache, everything that he encountered would be impacted by the scent of that Limsburger stinking cheese. All of us have some Limsburger cheese issues. We have experienced things that have hurt us. In our past, we have been deprived of things that have left us feeling incomplete and disadvantaged. Sometimes the wounds that we have been inflicted with are so deep that they cause everything around us to smell. Unhealed wounds impact how we see the world and handle our problems. It doesn't matter how many degrees you earn, how many jobs you, you get promoted at, 
or marriages that you, you, you get divorced from and new husbands, new loves, new addresses, new profiles. If we don't deal with the Lindsberger cheese situation, if we don't learn how to deal with our issues, the messes of our lives, the things that have shaped us into who we are, we will always be smelling things from the perspective of what has happened to us rather than what is actually true. And when we try to minister to people out of our hurt, out of our pain, out of our Lindsberger cheese, we're going to smell things that will prevent us from ministering to them. We need to learn how to recognize the mess that we bring to every situation in our circumstances of life. And we need to learn how to address those hurts, those wounds, biblically so that we can heal. You cannot effectively help anyone when you make the ministry about yourself. If you can't get out of your own way, you can't help anybody. Hurting people hurt people. Instead, we must learn how to make our mess, our Lindbergh cheese. We need to learn how to make the smell that God has allowed to be a part of what has shaped us. We need to learn how to make the, the mess our ministry. In Luke chapter 22, in verses 31 through 34, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure and he's explaining to them that the kingdom of God is at hand. They got that part. And in their minds, that meant finally we're going to cash in. We're going to get all of the, uh, we're going to reap the rewards of the sacrifices that we've made. And then Jesus said, oh, I'm going to die when this story ends in Jerusalem. Now, Peter, because he never really learned how to deal with the mess in his life, when Christ said he was going to die, he was unable to hear what Christ was saying through his spiritual ears. That's why the Bible says, let him who has an ear hear what the Spirit has to say. When we can't get past our mess, our stuff, we will not hear, we will not discern, we will not be able to be directed by the Spirit of God because we are listening through our experiences rather than the evidence of the move of the Holy Spirit. Peter's mess kept him away from ministry at times. Peter was impetuous, impulsive. He was overly emotional. Peter was a gangster following Jesus who, who packed and, and, and didn't mind using a, a switchblade to level the playing field. Peter was somebody who spoke before he listened. He would fight first, then ask questions. Peter, in his own mind, was a macho man. And he didn't mind poking his chest out to show how tough he was. But listen to what the Lord says to Peter and to the other disciples in verse 31. He says, Simon, Simon, 
Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And here's the key part. He says, and when you have turned back, when you go through your mess, when your life gets wrecked and you repent, use what I have allowed to occur in your life. Allow the wounds that I have healed to become your platform to strengthen the brethren. Everything that you have gone through, God intends for it to be the platform, your launching path for ministry. And what the Lord says to, to, to Peter, who is called Simon, is basically this. He said, Simon, you're about to go through something. And we all have gone through something in 2020, the, the pandemic and job downsizing, et cetera, and isolation. He said, you're about to go through something, and what I, the mess that you're about to encounter, the issues that you're going to experience, you can deal with them as Peter, or you can try to handle this mess as Simon. When you handle your situations as Peter, your troubles become your triumph. Your mess becomes the open door for ministry. Now, what we need to understand, the first, there's just two things that I want to say today. I want to talk about why we need to know and acknowledge the issues in our lives before you can effectively minister. You can't help anybody. You can't be a good parent. You can't be a good wife or husband until you learn how to acknowledge what you got in your mustache. And I'm not saying sisters got mustache. Well, let me, let me just put that. You got to understand and acknowledge what is my, what are my issues that I'm bringing into this relationship? How am I parenting? Am I parenting based on my issues or am I parenting based on how God has healed me in spite of my issues? Why you need to know and acknowledge your issues before you minister to others. The first reason is that Simon still lives in us. He's not just with us, he lives in us. Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked me to sift you as wheat. In this text, Simon represents who we were before we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. Not just to give us fire insurance, Savior, to get us into heaven, but we have accepted Christ as kurios, he is the Lord, the master, the controller, the ruler of our lives. Genuine salvation is not just saying, yes, get me into heaven, but it's a surrender. It's an exchange where now you're no longer running your life, but you've surrendered the controls of your life over to Jesus as Lord. And so before we made that decision, we were all Simon. In John chapter 1, verse 40 through 42, we discover who Peter was before his uh, salvation experience with Christ. And here's what the scripture says. One of the two who heard John the Baptist speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon. So when Andrew got saved, 
the first thing he did is went back and told his brother, whose name is Simon Peter. The first, he, he first found his brother Simon, and he said to him, we have found the Messiah, translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone or Peter. And so he says, you have been Simon. That's what your boys called you. You, that, that's how you recognize in the community. That's how you recognize down at the dock where they do all this crazy talking. This is where the thuggery occurred. Peter was a part of that. He was, he, he was a tough guy. And the Lord says, you no longer shall be called Simon, but you're going to be called Peter a rock. A rock. You're going to be, what, you were tough in the world, but you're going to be tough in me now that you save me. So Peter represents, or Simon represents who we were before you got saved. We all were Simon, and, and we all had a reputation. And, and the Bible says that we were born in sin and shaped in iniquity, and something needed to be done with the Simon that we all were, the Simon that lived in us. It was our Adamic nature, our fallen nature. It was the fact that God looked at us as the natural man. And, and the Bible says in that natural, unsaved state that we could not comprehend anything that came from God because the natural man does not receive what comes from God because everything that comes from God is spirit and we lack the spirit of God. And so we needed to be like Jesus said to Nicodemus, religious but lost. He said, Nicodemus, marvel not that I say unto you, you must be, you got to be, there's no option about this. You must be born a second time, born of the spirit. And so Simon had not been born a second time, but Jesus said this name changed. It's symbolic of the fact that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. All things have become new. Simon's name changed, but, he was, but Simon's nature did not. He still, he's, his name changed to Peter, but he still has some Simon living in him. The Bible says that we have, as Christians, two conflicting, warring natures. Bible says we have the Spirit of God, that we have the Holy Spirit living in us, but we also have the old spirit, the old man, the Adamic man. And, and, and Paul puts it this way. He says, for we wrestle not uh, against flesh and blood, but against principalities. And the reason why we are in a wrestling match to, be, between principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places is because says, he says, because the spirit and the flesh in living in us are at war one with another. In Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 20, the apostle Paul, the prolific writer of the scriptures, most of the New Testament, he was a church planter, a brilliant scholar, multilingual, uh, exposed to Greek culture, Hebraic culture, Aramaic culture, just a genius. He, he, he said, with all of my, my accomplishments and, and, and all that I've learned, he said, I, 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 here's one of the things that I've discovered. He said, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law, it, that the law, the word of God is still good. 
As it is, it is no longer I myself who does it, but it is sin who lives in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But I cannot carry it out. For I do not do what I want to do, but the evil I do, I do not want to do that. But I do it because evil lives in me. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it sounds confusing, doesn't it? It is no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. And he's not saying, he's not blaming the devil or, or the old nature. But what he's saying is inside of us are these two factions that are at war with, with us, inside of us, that one desiring to live for God and the other desiring to please the flesh. The other side, there's another side to all of us called Simon. Simon is the sin nature. Simon is that part of us that desires to fulfill its lustful desires. Simon is that part of us that can act a fool at the drop of the hat. Simon is that part of us that still remains, even though the Lord has delivered us from the power of sin, we can submit to the power of sin. Simon also represents all of us. When you read the text, uh, it sounds like Jesus is only talking to Peter when he says, Simon, Simon. He says, Satan desires to sift you. The you is in the, is the pronoun you is in the plural, which means that Jesus was speaking directly to Peter and through Peter to all of the disciples and through all of the disciples to us. Satan desires to sift all of us because we all have Simon. We all have mess. We all have stuff that we've gone through. We all have twisted way of thinking about stuff. We're not always objective. We ain't always trying to be fair. We ain't always trying to forgive our enemies. We ain't always praying for those who despite believe. We hurt from something bad happened to them. We ain't always prepared to give somebody a drink of water if they're thirsty, if they're our enemy. We want them to be a little thirsty. We won't mind if they end up a little homeless. We'll pray for them in their homelessness. We'll pray for them as the police taking them away in handcuffs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, 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 we got, we, we have a new man, but inside of us dwells that old nature that desires to get even, that old nature that doesn't want to forgive, that old nature that says, you, 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 you hit me on one side, I'm going to hit you twice on the other side. We all have Simon living in us. And if we're not careful, we'll look at the, we, we've been hurt by men, and, and now we see all men through the eyes of Simon. Somebody got hurt by a woman, and now you look at all women as, as if from the eyes of the vantage point of Simon. And so we have died to sin, but sin still lives, and sin is still rattling the chain and, and, and trying to get out of the cage. And depending upon who we give authority to, that is the part the person who's going to rule. And so all of us have Simon. All of us have Simon. One of the things that ought to keep you humble is the Simon in you. Because but for the grace of God, but for the grace of God, so go I. When I see that person begging outside of a, a Wawa's, I say, but for the grace of God. When I see that person strung out on drugs, I say, but for the grace of God. When I think about the fact that I could have been raised in a, in a foster home or, or abandoned or, or even aborted, I say, but for the grace of God. Because you know, my mother had 
had some mess. My parents had some mess. But they, they looked beyond their mess, and they allowed the mess that they had experienced to become their ministry in terms of making decisions that allowed me to even be here today. Simon is in all of us. I want you to know that Simon shows up and shows out when serious sacred ministry is occurring. That's why there's some, there's some things that God has told you to do. You just do it. Don't, don't share it with your wife. I'm not saying that if it affects her, you better, you need to conclude her. Amen. I got to go home today. But praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen. Uh, 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 there, but there's some things that God puts on your heart as a wife. Uh, to, to pray for somebody, to, 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 uh, to sit, uh, sit with someone, uh, uh, to call them on the phone. You don't have to ask to get permission to bless somebody. But there's some folk that you need to leave out of the room. Amen. <laughs> there was a ministry that Jesus was doing there. There were times when he was going and, and someone had died and, and people had come to him and, and they were crying and, and they lost hope and they just needed something. And the only person that could help once death had occurred was Jesus. And so Jesus would go and he would only take Peter, James, and John. He left the other nine. There's some people you can't take in certain rooms. And then there are times when, Pete, when Jesus was ministering, all 12 of the disciples were present. But there were other times when he went to the mountain of transfiguration. He didn't take all of the disciples. Some of us can't go into a deaf room. Some of us can't go to a mountain of transfiguration. Some of us are not going to experience because, of our, because we've not allowed our mess to become our ministry, that intimate relationship that Peter, James, and John, when they were in the mountain of transfiguration, they saw something that the other nine did not see. Simon wants to show up when sacred ministry is occurring. The devil is a liar. When you're in church, you're trying to hear the word. Simon will show up, and he'll remind you of that number. Simon will show up, remind you, can take your mind off of, I'm hungry. Can't wait to get my collard greens. Can't get the devil. Simon will show up when sacred ministry, even now as you're listening to me, some of you are ironing clothes. Some of you are cooking food. You need to put those items down because Simon wants to distract us when God is at work. Moving in the sacred realm. We, not, we, don't, we don't understand. Ministry is sacred. Lives and souls, eternal destinies are in the balance. That's why we would say to people when we were given invitations, saints pray. Because the devil is at work. Every time I stood at the bedside of somebody who was dying and they hadn't made a, a decision for Christ, I could just feel spirits just battling for that person's soul. Ministry is sacred. So when you start hearing the word, this is God speaking to you. You need to give your undivided attention. Simon says, you can do this. You can do that. Uh, uh, Simon says, but we ain't going by what Simon said. We want to go by what the word of God. Simon shows up to distract us from serious sacred ministry. Here's how he does it. Let me give you some examples. You remember the story of the elder brother, the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15? The, elder, uh, the youngest son demands of his father, give me my money so I can leave. Father gives him the money, goes to a, a distant land, and he goes buck wild. We send our kid off to college, and, and they get a minute of independence, 
and they, 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 don't, they don't open their books. They just, they just party every night, and before you know it, they're flunking out of college. That's what this young man did. But the Bible says, but he came to himself, and he said, I am going to return to my father's house, and I'm going to tell him I'm sorry. I'm going to repent. And when he came, the father ran, and he embraced him, and he threw a banquet for him and celebrated. How many of you know that God, when, when you do return, when we repent, uh, a, a party is initiated in heaven? And, and so everybody's celebrating the son who was once lost, he's now found. Sacred ministry has occurred. There's been repentance and restoration. But there's one joker who wasn't happy. Simon, the elder brother, <laughs> he was so full with jealousy and unforgiveness that he could not accept the fact that the grace of God was not just for him. I want you to know that jealousy, when, you, when we're operating in the spirit of Simon, when people get restored, you won't be happy about it. Uh, I, I don't know how many wives who had her husbands who acted a fool for years, and they finally get saved. You would think that that would make the wife happy. She's not happy. She wanted God to, 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 to tighten that husband up a little bit before he got saved. And so sometimes we can have the spirit of Simon as the elder brother. God done blessed somebody with a husband or wife, but he didn't bless you. And we ain't rejoicing, but God said, rejoice with those who rejoice. When you're acting in the spirit of God and ministry is understood as sacred, you can have the same response that God the Holy Spirit has. Let me give you another example. Simon is with Simon in us will cause us to ignore hurting people because he's self-centered. In Acts chapter 6, verse 1, the Bible says that the apostles found out that there was a group of widows in the church who were being, who were being deprived of food and basic sustenance. This church was a prosperous church. There were wealthy people in the church at Jerusalem, but the Hellenistic, the Greek-speaking Jews, were not getting their needs met. I want you to know when Simon is in control, you can be sitting right next to somebody who's getting ready to be evicted, sitting right next to somebody who's having marital problems, right next to somebody who's contemplating suicide, and you would not even have the spirit of discernment because all you care about is God is good and God and all the time God is good. You came and got what you what, what, what you what you what you needed, but you forgot that you got it in order to bless somebody else. Most of Christianity today, the version of Christianity that's being sold, it's self-centered Christianity. It's all about God making my day. Never level. God's getting ready. To, your day is coming. You're getting ready to prosper. God's getting ready to bless you. Another, you, you, you're getting ready to get your breakthrough. You need to be broken. You don't need no breakthrough. God wants to make you, and when he makes us, he'll break us to do it. Simon is in us. When, sometimes Simon will show up when people are worshiping too loud or too undignified. You remember the story of Brian Bartimaeus? He comes in, Jesus, thy son of Jonah, David, Jesus, thy son of David, thy son of David. And, and the disciples acting in the spirit of Simon, they say, shut up. Don't you know it don't take all that? Why are you acting a fool? Why don't you get quiet? Don't you understand we in a church? Don't you understand we educated up in here? And Jesus stopped. Because Simon refused to be shut up. Sometimes Simon is agitated when, when they're true worshipers. A true worshiper understands that worship and praise isn't about 
us. It's about him. And when you get into his presence through worship and praise, you don't even know anybody's around you. You lose sight of that because it's about him, not them. Simon will mistreat children when the Lord wants to bless them. Remember in, 19, in Matthew chapter 19, the children, parent brought the infants to be blessed. Didn't mean say they were church members, but the disciples said, get these non-tithers, these non-church voting members, get them out of here. Get these kids out of here. Jesus don't have them on his agenda. And the Bible says he, Jesus became angry with those Simon, that Simon spirit in the church, mistreating children. He said, allow the children to come unto me. Don't stand in the way of the children, Simon. And he blessed them. When we're acting in the spirit of Simon, we won't have any patience for kids. We won't have a heart of compassion for children. We can abuse children and abuse those who cannot protect themselves. Simon will also cuss you out to fit in or to feel better. You remember Peter? Jesus said, Peter, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And so Peter said, no, no, Lord, everybody else will but not me. And so when, when the sister said, well, you, 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 your vernacular, you, you, the way you speak gives you away. And then Peter said, let me, let, me, let, me, let me remind you that Simon still is alive and well. He started cussing and, 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 and swearing. I don't know the man. I don't know. I don't know what other words he put in there. But the Bible says he cursed and he swore. Peter was very much the person that the Lord had saved, but Simon, under pressure, under pressure, that's when Simon will show up. Simon will not be second. Simon wants to be first. Simon wants to be important. Simon wants recognition. Simon demands a title. Uh, and the night that Jesus was being betrayed, and, and he said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to die, the, 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 the disciples hear that, and they, then they said, well, I'm going to be the greatest. Remember, uh, James and John, their mother came to Jesus, and she bowed down. Where's your, he really going to pray to the Lord? And Jesus said, what you really want? I, I, you know, that's what I said. Jesus knew her heart. What you really want? What's your game here? And she said, well, you see these two boys, my boys, James and John, these macho men that put me up to coming to you for them. They so strong and tough spiritually that they couldn't ask you themselves. When you get in your kingdom, Jesus, would you allow them to sit on your right hand and left hand? I want them to be the most important. I want them to have the best and highest title. And the Bible says that the other 10 disciples, when they heard that, they didn't pray for them. They became indignant and angry. They started fighting. How are you guys going to get up, jump in front of the line? How are you going to get your fascination before me? How are you going to get your recognition before me? How do you get that promotion before me? And Jesus said, Simon, that's how people who are unsaved act. But in the kingdom, the last shall be first. Being, being, having authority and affluence in the kingdom is not a struggle for the top, but it's a struggle for the bottom. Let it not be so in the kingdom of God that we're struggling for titles and recognition and importance. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that influence is far more important than, than titles because influence allows God to use you to get things done. Jesus in the world had no title. They called him a threat. They called Jesus treasonous. The Jews called him blasphemous. But that didn't change the fact that he was still the son of God. Somebody say amen. Simon fears man more than God. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, the Bible says, Fear not him who can destroy your body, 
but rather fear him who's able to destroy both body and soul in hell. We put more, press, we put more importance on what people think. We're more concerned about being rejected or accepted by people than we are about God. We often say, what did you think they thought? Are we thinking in our minds, what, what did they really mean? I heard what they said. So are we playing all these mind games because we don't understand the sacredness, the holiness, the privilege. The, 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 it's so dangerous that if you don't do it right back in the Old Testament, you could lose your life touching things that were holy. Ministry is holy. And if you allow people to intimidate you, the Lord said to, to Jeremiah, when Jeremiah said, I'm but a youth and I don't know how to preach. He said, but surely I will be with you and I will put my words on your tongue. Don't fear their faces. I want you to know that when you are operating in the spirit of Simon, you will be controlled by fear. You'll be controlled by the spirit of the flesh. I want you to understand that when Peter was acting in the spirit of fear and when people around you are fearful, it's contagious. Fearful people will rob you of your joy. They will lead you to discouragement. They will shut ministries down because they can always find a reason why it shouldn't happen, why it can't happen. But we're going to see that when we're operating in the spirit of, of, of Peter, I'm afraid, but I'm going to keep on serving. <laughs> My knees are knocking, but I ain't giving in. I'm going to take this mountain that the Lord already said it was mine. I want you to know I've operated in the spirit of fear for many, many years in the ministry, more concerned about what people thought about me than what God's thought about me. Operating, measuring my success or impactfulness on the size of the crowd or the size of an offering and what people said about me in the community. And, and in, in most of those instances, in spite of that, God used me. But inside of me, I was wrestling with the Simon spirit. And I would have to go before the Lord and, and just ask for courage just to get in the pulpit. You know, after studying for hours and preparing and going to seminary, still not having any confidence that I, and, and again, it's one thing to be confident that you need to be totally dependent on the Lord. It's another thing to be afraid because of you. Because our mess can get in the way of ministry. And so I had to learn that if I simply would just get out of the way, if I would simply allow, do my part, study the word, and, and trust God for the results, it doesn't matter what size the crowd is. And all I know is that God gave me, in the, we're going to see, God gave me the responsibility of preaching the word, and he said, I will cause the word never to come back void. But when you're operating out of the spirit of fear, it will cause you to feel like you're a failure. It will cause you to hesitate to do what God told you to do because you're afraid that people will reject you. Simon will not operate in faith even after those who've died been resurrected and uh, seas have been calm. The Lord, one of the most uh, repeated phrases that the Lord used throughout his ministry with the disciples, fear not. Fear not. I want you to know that fear will stop you from ever becoming what God has called you to. I'm liberated now. I thank God that I'm at a place now where I'm trusting him. 
about the outcome. I'm trusting him about who he has made me to be. The scripture says that Satan desires to sift us. And the sifting process in the Bible, it involved taking the chaff from a stalk of wheat and they would put it under their feet and they would crush it and they would do it violently and they would stomp it really hard, as hard as they could for as long as it was necessary. And then they would take that stalk uh, uh, the, with, with the husk and then after they had stomped it and, and, fl and, and flattened it, then they would take it and throw it up in the air and then the wind would blow away the chaff, would blow away the husk and what would be left is the grain. But in order to get to the grain, you had to crush <laughs> you had to crush the outer shell. You got to get, you got to deal with that hard sin nature in us. We got to deal with that stuff that don't want to obey God. And I want you to know the crushing that we've gone through, the problems that we've had, the pain, the, the, the distrust, the disappointment, the things that people, they didn't do it by accident. Some people hurt you on purpose. All of them, some of us cry ourselves asleep because of the pain. Some of us still have gaping wounds because of something that has happened. We've been, we still feel like we're being crushed. But understand that the crushing is what God uses to produce the grain. The crushing is what God is going to use as your testimony. The crushing is what God is going to use to cause you to be a voice for him to bring comfort and strength to those who are going through the same thing that you're going through. Let the mess become your ministry. Don't ever allow the devil to shame you into sharing what God delivered you from. Or to, do, to, or to act like we already have arrived. None of us have arrived. We're still being crushed. We're still being shifted. And the Bible says that this, shift, this shifting, uh, sifting that the devil does, when he came to Jesus, he was asking permission. He was stalking Jesus. Let me, release me to crush him. To, and we, when the Lord allows the crushing, it's not to destroy you, but to develop you. To develop you. We all need to be crushed. We all need to be humbled. The problem with too many Christians is we too strong. The Bible says that he perfects his strength through our weaknesses. And we don't want to tell anybody that we get frightened. And we don't want to tell nobody that we blew it. We don't want to tell anybody that we still walk in fear. But I want you to know that there's victory when you give your testimony of the goodness of God. In spite of my mess, God, but God, your, your experiences, your crushing, the sifting is what God uses as your testimony. And as you testify of the goodness of what God has done, now you begin to walk in victory over what the devil used to have you in bondage with. Let me finish with this. Now, how can you turn your mess into ministry? Remember that you have an advocate in heaven who is interceding for you, praying for you continuously. Jesus said, Peter, Simon, Simon. And whenever... Peter was acting a fool. He would, Jesus would call him Simon. <laughs> so he said, the devil desires to sift you, but I have prayed for you. Understand that what is happening to you and what you've experienced, as bad as it was, as real as it was, it didn't take Jesus by surprise. He said, I've already prayed for you about that. And I'm still advocating for you in heaven. We have an advocate 
who's praying for us. Remember also that you have the assurance that what you went through was never intended to destroy you. He said, when you get through, when you get the victory, he didn't say, if you will, because we have victory in Christ. He said, Peter, when you repent, when you overcome what you're going through, understand the, that, the, that the, your assignment, you, you have the assurance that this was used to cause all things to work together. I'm a better pastor because of the stuff I went through. Now, some of the things that I've gone through is because of me, not because Satan was sifting me. Sometimes in the sifting is temptation and you give in, and, and as you've given in, the consequences of our sin. The wages of sin is still death. The way of a transgressor is still hard. And so some of the stuff that we're going through right now is because of choices that we made that were not in obedience to the word of God. But the Lord gives us the assurance that what we have gone through didn't destroy you, it developed you. Here's the third thing. Remember, you have an assignment. He said, now strengthen, take that mess <laughs> that you've gone through and use it to encourage others. This, is, this also blows my mind. People having marital problems and, 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 and they, they, they act like they got the perfect marriage. Your marriage wasn't always perfect. And guess what? It still ain't perfect. But if you would simply strengthen those who are going through based on the mess that you overcame, then that becomes an opportunity for ministry. But when we act like we got it all together, like our stuff don't stink, then people struggle in the church needlessly. I remember as a young Christian, and people would stand up and give their testimony, God gave me a brand new car. God just gave me... Uh, my wife and I, uh, a brand new house on top of the hill, and my boss gave me a new, all these great things are happening. I'm saying, it ain't happening for me. Maybe I ain't saved because I still want to cuss. I still want to fight. I'm still struggling with lust and anger. I'm still, and I didn't even have sense enough to even understand what those things were. But what these Christians were saying, their experience was, sure wasn't mine. But if someone had set me down and said, this is the real deal, that Christians bear crosses, that Christians have passed, Christians have been, they're not perfect, but we have the perfect one, Jesus, living in us, and we're growing in perfection in spite of our brokenness. You have an assignment, you have an assurance, you have an advocate, but you also, as we close, you have... In the word of God, you have to avoid the arrogance that Peter had. He said, Lord, I'll never forsake you. I ain't going to never do that. I see what they did. I, Peter cussed. He cut somebody's ear off. He lied and said he didn't belong to you. i never do that. Peter said, I'll never forsake you. If all of the other disciples forsake you, I will not only go to jail for you, Jesus, I'll die for you. He was the first one to break camp. So we need to avoid an arrogant spirit. An arrogant spirit tries to act like what everybody knows is true. Anybody that knows you knows your mess. And don't you try to act like you don't still wrestle with it, but humility will allow you not only to understand the Lindsberger cheese on your mustache, but it will allow you to understand realize that just because it's on your mustache, it doesn't mean that every situation that you are, God has called you to deal with, 
has to be experienced through what's wrong with you. A man and his wife pulled into a gas station to fill up their tank. And as they're filling up the tank, we, we've experienced this. Somebody will walk up to the car, and they'll offer to wash the wind, window, and we tip them, if you, uh, and they'll keep hounding you if you don't. So you let them wash the windshield and wash the windshield. So a guy washes the windshield, and he stands on the side of, or driver's side window waiting for a tip. The man said, what kind of windshield wiper are you? This windshield is still filthy. Wash it again. And so the guy takes his little squirty and his little squeegee thing, and he goes over it again, and then he looks real close to see if there are any bugs, any smudges, anything that uh, would, would keep the, uh, the, 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 uh, the vision of the man from inside being out there. The man said, are you kidding me? I think it's worse than it was the first time. Watch it again. So the windshield wiper humbly went back, and he did his little squirt thing, and he took a little squeegee, and went back and did his little squeegee. And he said, what about now? He said, man... You need to be fired. He gets out. He starts to get out of the car. He said, I'm going to talk to your boss and make sure you never wash a window here again. And if you wash another window, I ain't coming back here. And just as the man, he's getting ready to get out of his car, his wife grabs his eyeglasses. And she takes them off, and she shows him his glasses. His glasses are so, so dirty that he couldn't even see it, barely see his hand in front of his face. And then she, she sprayed some, some, uh, uh, some, some cleanser on his, on, his, on his glasses and wiped the glasses. And with her glasses on, he looked out the window, and guess what? There wasn't a spot. A the, the window was pristine clean. The problem wasn't the window. It was the mess on his lenses. <laughs> I want you to know when you're looking at people through the lenses of your and your hurt and your disappointment and your unforgiveness and everything that everybody ever did to you. What you're going to see is not what God sees. You will not be able to help anybody. You will not be able to minister. But if you take the lenses of your experience and clean it with the word of God and allow the Holy Spirit to fix your thoughts on God's word, you're going to be able to minister in tough places. You're going to be able to go in death rooms and pray and people will be healed. You're going to be able to go and help people that are struggling in their marriages and with their children because the lens of your experiences have been cleansed by the word of God. And you're filled no longer with excuses. You're filled with the spirit of God. Let your mess become your ministry Get out of the way of what God is doing. If you're not prepared to do that, just get out of the way. Because ministry is sacred. Let's pray. Father God, in the powerful name of Jesus, we bow. Our hearts are humbled that in spite of all that you know about us, you have chosen us to be your voice in a world that is crying out for healing, for help. God, may we not act, 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 operate, operate in the spirit of Simon and miss the opportunities that are all around us. People are hurting and crying out. And we have a word from the Lord if we operate in the spirit of Peter rather than in the spirit of Simon. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.